Good morning. I hope you're doing well today. I'll try that one more time. I hope you're having a good day today, right? You know, Brian told me, he said something a while ago that really hurt my feelings. Brian did, Williams, not Brian Broom. Brian Broom never hurts my feelings. Brian Williams told me that I've been hollering a lot as of late. I don't know what all that in the world's about, Phil. I don't holler. At least I don't think I holler. But I have to holler some, I guess, today and bring all that about. Listen, turn to your book. Uh, turn to the book of Romans. We're going to be back where we've been. We're going to be in chapter 3 today. I pray that you have had a, a great week. It's been a short week uh, having missed Monday. And, uh, but there is a, a lot of good. It's a good day for Georgia football. That's what I, I need to say that today. Go dogs, yep. It's not a good day for Florida State Seminoles. Bad day, bad day. I saw where they lost last night. But, uh, but anyway, let me make a statement as we start today. This is just a statement to begin with, and, and this is it. The Bible doesn't just change a life, but it changes a lifestyle. Do you believe that? It just, it just doesn't change a life, but it changes a lifestyle. You can be exposed to the truth, but just because you've been exposed to the truth doesn't necessarily mean that you will live by the truth. There has to be something that takes place uh, there. If we're to take the book of, of Romans and we're to sort of break it down, there's multiple ways you can break it down. One theologian, several theologians say you can break it down into four parts. Those four parts being number one from chapter one to chapter three, verse, uh, three, verse 20, where we'll be at next week, that being the wrath of God. The second part being uh, uh, chapter three, verse 21, all the way to chapter eight being God's grace and unmerited favor. The next part, chapter, uh, chapters nine through 11, God's plan and then God's will from 12 through 16. Or if you want to simplify, I like to simplify things. Mark, I'm a simple guy. Simplify things just in two, two, different, two different sections. Number one versus chapters one through 11. You know what we should believe in chapters 12 through 16, how we should live. I like that. That seems really simple to me. But we're going to be today in chapter three uh, verses one through eight. That's where we're going to be at today. And I want you to, if you would turn there um, I would like to begin there this morning. If we look at that section, though, the wrath of God, we can go back to chapter 1, verse 18, and we can see that the sort of the theme is found there in chapter 1, verse 18, where he says, but God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by his wickedness. And then Paul goes on in chapters 1 and 2 to pronounce judgment and wrath on not just not just the raunchy crowd, okay, the guys that we know that are evil, that are looking for evil, but also the religious crowd, the people that thinks that they're, they're good in the, in the eyes and the sight of, of man. And so, so here's Paul saying that all sinners deserve God's wrath and God's judgment. And Paul knew, Paul knew that what he was saying, Paul knew that what he was writing wasn't going to sit very well with those people to whom he was writing to. He had already anticipated their objections. And that's why he would say things like, your actions are inexcusable. There's no favoritism with God or your circumcision should not just be um, outward, but also inward. And he continues on there in chapter three, verses one, and we're gonna be reading today. And, and I'm just gonna be honest with you up front. Some of you are gonna, you're gonna look at this and you're gonna go, what in the world? Because there's sometimes you read the word and you just sort of scratch your head and like go, what in the world is he talking about? Well, this is one of those passages of scripture. 
But this is what I want to say to you. If you'll hang in for just a little bit, I promise you that by the time that we're done, if it's all going to sort of come together near the end and you're going to see it, but you're going to have to hang in with me. So today, let's just begin by reading those passages of scripture there, beginning in chapter three, verses one and following. And this is what Paul, this is what he wrote as he wrote to the church there at Rome. Are you ready? Let me say that one more time. Are you ready? Amen. All right, so let's read today. Those of you that are listening online, get your copy of God's Word. I want you to read along with us, with us today. So here's what Paul had to say. Then what is the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? Yes, there are great benefits. First of all, the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of God. Verse 3, true, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean that God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scriptures say about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. That's very interesting, isn't it? Goes on in chapter 5, but some may say our sinfulness serves as a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? But someone still might argue, how can God condemn us as a sinner if my dishonesty highlights his truthfulness and brings him more glory. And some people even slander us by claiming that we say, the more we sin, the better it is. Those who say such things deserve to be condemned. Boy, isn't that a mouthful. <laughs> to which you're probably going, what in the world? You know, when I read stuff like this, I have to go back to, to, a, to a, a conversation, some words that Peter wrote as he was finishing up Second Peter when he says, and I'll paraphrase this, guys, there's sometimes I just don't understand what Paul's talking about. Sometimes the things that he says, I just I have a hard time grasping, and this is one of those places right there. What in the world is, is going on? In what, what, man, listen, if Peter had a problem with some of the things that Paul says, I think I'm capable of having a problem also with some of the things that Paul had to say. But with that being said, what I want to do is I want to take where we are, and what I want to do is sort of bring it all together, and I want to summarize it into one specific advantage that Paul seems to highlight here in this passage of Scripture, and that advantage being that the group of Jews, the Jewish people, had the advantage of having God's Word. So with that being said, there's really four things I want to look at today. Number one, the arguments, the answers, the advantages, as well as the admonition. But let's pray before we do that, because I know, I know that with people listening as well as people in this room, there's something that God wants to speak to us today if we're willing to hear. I know that. Father, would you, would you be with us this morning in the reading of your word? God, I pray today that it would be the Holy Spirit that speaks and that as your children, we would be responsive. Help our ears to be open and our eyes to see very clearly what it is you would like for us to, to receive today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to write down the word arguments today, the arguments of, of the skeptics, because as we begin, there are some questions that Paul begins with here as he, as he writes, beginning there in, in, chap, in, in, uh, in chapter 3, verse 1. What is the advantage of being a Jew? 
all right? So what is the advantage of being in the Jew? Or what is the value in the ceremony of circumcision? Or there in verse 3 where he says, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does that mean that God himself will be unfaithful? In other words, will their unbelief end up impacting God's faithfulness? Or look at the question there in verse 5, but some may say our sinfulness serves a good purpose. For it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to, to punish us? And it's almost like Paul knows exactly. See, he knows his crowd and he knows the questions. He knows the things that they're thinking about. And so he anticipates them with some questions here. And the thought, of, the thought surrounding this is, listen, if, if, um, if our Jewish heritage and practices don't make us right with God, what in the world is the advantage of being a Jew? What's the, what's the advantage of it? And I want you to hang on to this thought just for a second. I mean, what in the world, what advantage does the Jew have? If you know anything about Jewish heritage or Judaism, you know that, man, that's a group of people that had an awful lot of problems. I mean, going back to the beginning of time, just think of all the things that they experienced as a nation of people, a group of people. Think of the things that they walked through, whether it be slavery, whether it was abuse or deportation or intimidation or relocation. I mean, these were the guys that were held in slavery up under Pharaoh's leadership for 400 years there in Egypt. This was the group of people that doubted God and ended up wandering around in the desert for 40 years before they ever arrived in a land that God had prepared and promised them. I mean, this was a nation that was divided in two, that was split as a result of, of, a, of an internal war, a civil war, and they were divided into the north and the south where the Assyrians would come in and they would take captive the north and the Babylonians the, the south. And we've not even talked about World War II. We've not even talked about the, the death of over six million Jews that were innocently, that were killed. And so you ask, man, what is the advantage that the Jews have. What I'm saying is that, that these are the benefits of being a Jew. If these are the benefits of being a Jew, who in the world wants to be a Jew? I mean, think about that. I mean, if these are God's chosen people, who in the world wants to be God's chosen people? But regardless of what had taken place in the life of the Jews until that time, they were God's chosen people. They knew it. Paul knew it. And God's word affirmed it. This is what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 14. You have been set apart as holy to the Lord your God, and he has chosen you from all, all the nations of the earth to be his own special treasure. Or if you read in Isaiah chapter 43 verse 10, you are, you're my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe and understand that I am he before me no God was formed, nor will there be one after me. I mean, it's great to be chosen. It's, it's great to be part of the team, to be, to be included. Um, just think about their Jewish heritage and the fact that they were, they, were, they were Jews. Just the fact that they were Jews, it made them acceptable to God. And yet Paul is beginning to destroy all of that, going back to chapter 2 when he said, just because they were physical descendants of Abraham did not necessarily mean that they were spiritual descendants. As a matter of fact, Paul had already talked about circumcision and said, listen, just because you have a mark on your flesh on the outside, there's no value if your hearts have not been circumcised on the, on the inside. 
And so here's Paul, he's anticipating the pushback of what was going on as he begins to tear down the very pillars that they themselves had held on to, to which Paul would have responded. And so he has these questions that he asks, but then there's also, there's also some, some answers, the answers of the scholar. And so here he is, he, he formulates some answers to these questions that he asks. And, and if we were to talk about this, it's, it's, uh, some people would say that this is a, a specific method of writing. He, he asks these rhetorical questions where he's really not wanting an answer, he's just wanting to make a point. In, in that day and time, they would have called it a diatribe. Now it means something totally different. But, but in that time, it was a form of writing. It was, a, it was a method of teaching that philosophers like Socrates and others had used. It was a literary tool. It was a literary tool, so they would ask this, this question to make a point. And, and notice the questions that, that Paul had asked, and he was asking those questions for a specific reason, not because he was just wanting an answer, but he's, he was wanting to, for them to think about something. And the questions that he asked answered here are more likely, these are more than likely questions that Paul had picked up as he was on his missionary journeys, as he had traveled in and out of the synagogues. These were things that, that he had heard. I mean, as he went out sharing Christ, these were probably some questions or attacks or accusations he had heard for years. Um, and these might even been some of those, those exact questions, or, or maybe, maybe they weren't questions that Paul had heard. M maybe, maybe these were some questions that Paul himself had thought about because, I mean, Paul wasn't always an apostle. Before he had had that experience on the road to Emmaus, I mean, Paul was a rabbi. I mean, he was a leader. He was a Pharisee. He was one who persecuted the believers, the followers of Christ. And maybe, maybe just maybe, these are some of the, the questions that Paul himself had, had wrestled with. But now he's worked through those, and, and he's, he's asking these questions because there's something that he wants to bring to light. But regardless, Paul knew the opposition of the audience. He knew the opposition of those that he would be writing to, and he did everything that he could to demolish the false sense of security that they had, they had picked up in reference to their religious rules and, and practices. And so, so he asked these questions with like being one, what is the advantage of being a Jew? Is there any value in circumcision at all? And look at how he responds to that. <laughs> you betcha. There's great benefits. But Paul never said that the Jewish heritage or practices, he never said they weren't important. He just said they weren't sufficient. That's what he said. He never said that what they believed or what they held on to, he didn't say it wasn't important. Who they were, the fact that they were God's chosen people, he didn't say it wasn't important. He just said it wasn't sufficient. There are lots of advantages to being a Jew. But in and of itself, that wasn't enough. Just because they were of that heritage didn't mean that it was enough. And here's Paul, a Jew, having gone to the temple. He had worshipped in the temple. And we even see in Acts chapter 16 where Paul brings Timothy to the temple to be circumcised because he didn't, it was a concession to the church at Galatia, the people in Galatia, because he didn't want Timothy to become a, a stumbling block. He didn't want it to be a hindrance to their, their ministry. Paul knew the significance of those things. And so anticipating the questions, what is the advantage of being a Jew, being circumcised? Paul said, look, there's lots and lots of advantages. 
But even though there were lots of advantages, what I want to do is I want to zero in on one. But before I do that, let me, let me just say this. How many of you were raised in a home where Christianity, God's Word, uh, Jesus was important? How many of you were raised in a home like that? Do you know there, there are advantages to being raised in a, in a Christian home? There are advantages to being raised in a home where, where God's word is, is held high and it's, it's valued. There are, there, there are advantages. There are advantages to being raised in a home where you have parents who, who love Jesus and who desire for you to love, love Jesus and to serve Jesus. Specific advantages that other people may not have. And how many times do we take that spiritual heritage for granted? I mean, how many times do we just sort of bypass because we really don't understand because we've been raised in it, we've been blessed until maybe one day you're sitting in a, in a group of people in a Bible study and there's some testimonies being shared like were shared up here on the stage today. So you need, if you knew more about Jamie's story, you would appreciate God's faithfulness. If you knew more about Leslie's story and Dave's story, you would understand the significance of what they're saying about God's God's faithfulness, but you may not realize how blessed you are to be raised in a Christian home and to be raised to love Jesus and to love his word until you're in an environment and all of a sudden you begin to sit and listen and you hear the stories of somebody as they begin to share of their, their heartache and their pain because they were raised far, far away from God where God's word and God himself was not lifted high, but it was far from what their conversations were growing up. In other words, they didn't, they didn't even hear about Jesus until it was in a prison or in a jail cell where a chaplain came to them and talked to them. And all of a sudden they realized that there was hope and there was truth and there was somebody that loved them and valued them. But how many times do those of us that may be in a room or those listening have a testimony? Well, you know, I don't have a testimony like that where, man, I've done all these bad things and all these things have happened to me. And all I can say is if, if that's not you, praise the Lord. Sometimes my kids will say, well, I don't understand what it's like to do this over here. And I go, praise the Lord. You don't have to have one of those, those type of testimonies. That's a praise the Lord. I mean, it, it's a blessing for us to be raised in a home. There are advantages to being raised in a, in a home that loves Jesus. What a testimony of God's faithfulness. There are advantages to being raised in such an environment. And one of those advantages that we find is the advantage of, of God's word, the advantages of, of Scripture. Look at what Paul says there. He says, yes, there are great benefits in, in verse 2. And I'll, notice the first sentence that he says, first of all, some translations you may have the word chiefly. First of all, all the Jews were entrusted with the whole revelation of of God. Now, when you hear the, word, the words, first of all, automatically you think, okay, first of all, then second of all, and then third of all, and, and you've got this, this series of, of questions. And so it's, it's like there's a list that's being formulated, but the list begins here, but it doesn't end here. As a matter of fact, this is all you get until you get to chapter 9. I mean, you get this little piece here, first of all, and then it's like it just disappears. But you know what? It picks it up in chapter 9. Why don't you turn over to chapter 9? Because it's going to be a long time before we get there, but sort of prove and show you what I'm talking about. So here in chapter 3, he says, first of all, we've been entrusted with the revelation, the revelation of God or the oracles of God. But look at what he goes on to say in Romans chapter 9, verses or chapters later. This is in chapter 9, verse 1, and I'll read through, I'll read through verse, verse 5. 
With Christ as my witness, I speak with other truthfulness. My conscience, the Holy Spirit, confirm it. My heart is filled with bitter sorrow and undying grief for my people. My Jewish brothers and sisters, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. And here's the list. They are the people of Israel, chosen, chosen to be God's adopted children. God revealed his glory to them. He made covenants with them and gave them his law. He gave them the privilege of worshiping him and receiving his wonderful problems or promises. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob are their ancestors, and Christ himself was an Israelite as far as human nature is concerned, and he is God, the one who rules over everything and is worthy of eternal praise. And so in this passage, we see a list of advantages, but they didn't start here in chapter 9. It starts all the way back in chapter 3, where he says, first of all, that, that word, first of all, there's a Greek word, proton, which means primarily or first in rank. And Paul was saying, of all the things to those people that he was in writing in Rome, the most important advantage we have, what did he say was entrusted to them? The revelation of God, the oracles of God. That was what was entrusted to them of first importance. The primary advantage that they had was the revelation or the oracles of God. That word there, logios or logos, means the words of God, the scripture, the promises of God. And that's what gives us the advantage of God's chosen people. God chose them. He revealed himself to, into the world through them. And he said back in verse 5 there, and you saw it, we read that God spoke to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob their ancestors, as well as Joseph and Moses and Isaiah and Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Joel and, and Amos and Zechariah and Malachi and all the rest. And all of them that were Jews received God's word, the word of God. And Paul seemed to stress this one advantage over all the other advantages. That as God's people, they had been blessed with the foundation of God's word. It was primary and Paul answers that first question, but doesn't necessarily answer his second question. The first question back in chapter 1 or verse 1 was, what advantage does the Jew have? And he answers that. But the second question, was there any value in the ceremony of circumcision? He didn't seem to answer that. Maybe it was because of one of the reasons he had already answered that. But here he is, he's zeroing, zeroing in on the major advantage that they had of that being the Scripture. God's Word. Guess what one of the major advantages we have today is God's people? Bill, it's God's Word. God has blessed us with the advantage of having His Word, a copy of God's Word. And it's inside of the Word of God that we find out not only what's right, but what's not right, how to get right, and how to stay right. It's inside of God's Word that we find out in reference to marriage how we should live how we should respond and how we should act towards one another. It's in God's word that we, that we, that we find out about generosity. It's about in God's word that we, that we discover issues of, about, about how to be hospitable towards one another. What's important, what's not important, all of that we find within God's word. And our heavenly father gave it to us. He not only gave us the Holy Spirit as our God, but he gave us his word as a God, which leads me to this question that all of us, all of us have to answer at some point. What is the Bible? All of us have to come to a place that we answer that question. What is the Bible? 
You know, Mark, you got to figure it out. What is the Bible? We got to figure that out. You know, Larry, what is, what is the Bible to you? How do you, what do you consider it to be? Is it divine or is it human? Is it natural or is it supernatural in its origin? Is it just a collection of sayings of smart men or is it much, much more? But in answering that question, there's really only three responses, three possible responses. It's either the word of God or it's not. It's the word of God or it's the word of man or it's a combination of the two. Now, I don't think it's a secret that I believe that it's God's word. I don't think it's a secret that... That's what we hold on to as a church family, that God's word is important, that our church family not only holds on to it, but it's the, it's the, the church as a whole throughout human history has held on to the fact that God's word is important. It is our plumb line, not tradition, not culture, not our feelings or our thoughts, but it's God's word that trans- transcends all time and all cultures. It is the inspired word of God. Second Timothy chapter three, it was Paul that said this, all scripture is inspired by God. It's useful to teach what is true to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong and teaches us to do what is right. It is the inspired word of God. Peter explains that in his writing when he said this in 2 Peter chapter 1, above all, you must realize that no prophecy in Scripture ever came from the prophet's own understanding. No. It didn't come from human initiative, no. But the prophets were moved by the Holy Spirit and they spoke from God. Underline that word. Will you you underline that word moved? Because that's, that's, that's a really important word because it's a... It's a sailing metaphor, to be moved, to sail, to move along. It's reflective of a ship that's being carried along to its destination by raising its sails and the wind moving and carrying it, which means that the writers that, in, that wrote these things down, they were carried along. They were moved. They had their own styles, their own experiences, their own circumstances, their own experiences, yet they raised their sails, so to speak, And they ended up writing down exactly what God wanted us to hear, exactly what he wanted to be said. And that's that's what it means to be inspired. It's God's revelation in a human language. So, I mean, you can, one of the things is that it's God's word. Another thing is that maybe, maybe you believe, well, it's just the good words of men. I mean, there are people that believe that. That's That's a liberalist point of view. The words of men. We believe that the Bible is it's a good book. It's a it's a saying of some some you know some some wise sayings, some good ethical sayings, some ideals, some aspirations, but at the end of the day, it's just written by humans. Or the third position would be it's sort of a combination between the two, God and, and man, a combination. It's the words of God as well as the words of of man. I mean, some things were written by God and they're truthful, but then there are other things that are written by man and there's error. This it's a mixture of truth. An area, era. But, but to believe that, there's an awful lot of problems that get fixed within that framework because that puts us at the lead. In other words, we're the ones that we, we are the ones to decide what's right and wrong based on what we think or we feel at that moment. And think of how many problems that that brings about, especially when we come to believe and believe that God's word says that we're all sinners by nature and by choice. That we all have sinned and fallen short of that. The heart is deceitful above all things. But what's normative for all of us is the fact we can't run from that question. 
Every one of us have to answer that question of what is God's word? There isn't any middle ground. Talking about God's word, I love what the 18th century evangelist John Wesley had to say, and hold on to this, and this is, I quote, I am a creature of day passing through a life as an arrow through the air. I am a spirit come from God and returning to God, just hovering over the great gulf till a few moments hence I am no more seen. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. I want to know one thing, the way to heaven and how to land safe on that happy shore. God himself has condescended to teach the way. For this very end, he came from heaven. He has written it down in a book. Oh, give me that book. At any price, give me that book of God. I have it here is knowledge enough for me. Let me be homo unius libre, which means a man of one book. May we be a people of the book. Not just a book, but the book. With that being said, I want you to, just to write down just the admonition of the scribe. Because Paul asks some more questions, but then he gives this admonition, this warning. Look at what he says there in verse 3, going back to chapter 3. True, some of them were unfaithful, but just because they were unfaithful, does this mean that God will be unfaithful? Of course not. Even if everyone else is a liar, God is true. As the scripture says about him, you will be proved right in what you say, and you will win your case in court. He's quoting from the Psalms. But some might say our sinfulness serves as a good, um, as a good purpose, for it helps people see how righteous God is. Isn't it unfair then for him to punish us? This is merely a human point of view. Of course not. If God were not entirely fair, how would he be qualified to judge the world? And here's the question. What about all the Jews that, that didn't believe God's word? I mean, the Bible, here it is, the oracles of God, the revelation of God, but there have been plenty of Jews throughout history that have not believed that. Does that mean then that the promises of God are worthless? You know, if you read the Bible, if you, if you read what God's Word has to say, the Jewish people were filled with difficulty and failure. As a matter of fact, God called them stiff-necked and rebellious. But because they failed to believe in the faithfulness of God, the promises of God, and they didn't obey the Word, especially as it related to the birth of Jesus, I mean, here it was, the Bible talks about the forthcoming of the birth of Christ, the Messiah, and yet they were clueless. I mean, because this whole time, here they were looking for a, an earthly leader, but it wasn't an earthly leader that would come. It would be a suffering servant. But didn't the Scripture already teach them that earlier on? I mean, in Isaiah chapter 53, that he, would, he was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows acquainted with the deepest of grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised, and we did not care. But throughout the Bible... Regardless, regardless of the unfaithfulness of the people of God, we have the promises of God and that one day he will restore the nation of Israel. And that even though it hasn't happened, it's going to happen. It's going to take place because the Bible says it will take place. In Romans chapter 11, he said, I, I want you to understand the mystery, dear brothers and sisters, so that you will not feel proud about yourselves. Some of the people of Israel have hard hearts, but this will last only until the full number of Gentiles come to Christ. 
And so all Israel will be saved. As the scriptures say, the one who rescues will come from Jerusalem and he will turn Israel away from ungodliness. And this is my covenant with them and I will take away their sins. All of the promises of God are unconditional. And even though these promises may be postponed, they will never be prevented. They will take place. See, not believing God's promises does not nullify God's promises. So this is where the advantage all of a sudden becomes a disadvantage. When we have God's word, when we, when we can read God's word, we have copies of God's word, we can read it, yet we refuse to believe it or apply it to our lives. See, it was Jesus that would say, to the leaders of that day in John chapter 5, you search the scriptures because you think that they give you eternal life, but the scriptures, they point to me. Yet you refuse to come to me to receive this life. Outward identity with Christ is one thing. Inward, and inward conformity to God's principle is something totally different. See, I wonder how many people today are coming to church and man, it looks good on the outside, and yet there's no change that's ever taken place on the inside. Are, are we on the same page? Yeah. I wonder how many of us identify with, you know, God's chosen people. I'm a Christian. I wear that. I got that necklace around my neck. I got that T-shirt on. I mean, I'm, I'm part, and yet there's no change. We're no different. See, being in a place where the Bible is taught has many advantages, but those advantages are worthless when we refuse to read it, believe it, apply it, and share it with others. See, God's Word can not only just change a life, but it changes a lifestyle. But there are those people that say, you know, but you know, God's Word is just out of date. It's just, it's just it's too narrow. It doesn't fit within the 21st century culture. To which I would respond, um, so is every runway in, in every airport. When you think about narrow and you think about something that's very narrow, I think about a runway at an airport. I mean, you know what a runway looks like. Isn't it pretty narrow? And that's where a plane is supposed to land. Can you imagine being on a plane here? You got a pilot and you got some passengers and the guy's getting ready to land the plane and, and the pilot comes over the, the loudspeaker. Ladies and gentlemen, I see the runway in, in front of us. We're getting ready to land. It, I mean, it's been prepared for us and here it is. Oh, but I see a field on the other side of grass. I think just because the runway is skinny and it's small and it's been prepared for us, it's just too narrow, so I'm going to land in the grass field on the other side, to which the passengers would say, what in the world are you talking about? That's foolishness. It's ridiculous. It's crazy because that narrow strip was designed specifically for us to land on, and it's the same thing with God's Word. That even though it may seem narrow, God's word is the gateway to not only a better life, but to eternal life. But how do you treat it? How do you treat it? See, because this really isn't about the Jews. 
This is really about us. That as God's chosen people, that as his believers and followers of Christ, how will we choose to treat the word of God as an advantage or will it be a disadvantage? What will we choose to believe? Is it truly the word of God or is it just the words of man or is it, is it a combination of the two? What do you believe? What do you hold true to? See, the challenge for those of us that are believers to recognize the importance of God's word and to say, no, I'm not just going to read it, but no, I am going to believe it and I'm going to seek to apply it because I know it is the words of not only a better life, but eternal life. I'm blessed to be part of a church that believes that. I'm blessed to be part of a church that holds God's word high. That's why we do things like small groups, and that's why we do things like Heritage University on Sunday nights, and that's why we do things with, when we break out the Word, when we teach our kids not only on Sundays but Wednesdays and students in here on, on Wednesday nights. That's why we, we lift high the Word of God because it's important, because we recognize that in it, it is life. You had the privilege and the opportunity this afternoon. If maybe you're not involved in any type of a Bible study, on a Wednesday night you can come. There's something for all ages. Even tonight there's something. Maybe you, you would like to know more about the Bible. Charles and Jane Satcher are going to be teaching a, a class tonight beginning for four weeks how to clarify the Bible. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're here and you're married and you just want to, you want to, you want to have a better marriage. Maybe you're having a lot of problems and you need to come. That's, see, that's, what, that's who really gets together in these marriage things are only people who have lots of problems, Dave right? So if you're having problems in your marriage tonight, I expect you to see you tonight, okay? You can come join us. <laughs> oh, my word. But what is God's word to you? Is it an advantage or is it just a disadvantage? Are you holding on to something that you're not utilizing, but do you understand what God has given us and the privilege that we have of utilizing it for not just a better life, but eternal life. Would you pray with me today? As your heads are bowed today, this is what I know that in the midst of our conversation, there's lots of things that could be taking place within inside of your heart. Maybe you're listening to my voice today and, and, and you enjoy the, the fellowship of joining in and being part of a church family or maybe listening online but when it comes to, to digging into God's word and taking full advantage of what God has given us, you're just not doing that. My, my challenge to you is to, would you make a move to not only just read God's word, but to, to believe God's word and to ask the Holy Spirit to give you the power to live and apply it to your life. Maybe you're not involved in any type of a Bible study for whatever the reason or you don't spend time reading tonight. Maybe you would even, you want to sign up and say, I'd like to be a part of that. Maybe that's a step for you. But then there may be some of you here today that you don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Today I want you to know that, that the only thing that keeps you from a relationship with Jesus Christ is you. That's it, you. And even today, you have the ability to, to humble yourself, to quiet yourself, to recognize your sin and to cry out to God and say, Jesus, 
I recognize my sin and I recognize that you, you went to every extent to save me through your son Jesus. Today, I want to give my life to you. And right there where you are, you can do that. Right there where you are, you can pray and ask Jesus Christ to be Lord of your life. And if that's you today, I would love for you to come and talk to me afterwards. I'd love to be able to share with you more. We would love to be able to share with you more about our relationship with Jesus Christ. Father, I pray today as we we get ready to end and walk out these doors that we would take whatever we have received today and we would apply it however we should apply it. Help us to recognize the significant advantage we have as your children, as your children, to have the word, the importance of the word, the validity of the word, the value of the word. Help us not to take that for granted. But Father, help us to utilize it so that we can be, we can live better lives, and Father, we can live in communion and in relationship with you as well as others. As we walk out these doors today, Father, help us to recognize the important role that we play as your ambassadors, the important role that we play as we walk in and out of these, these schools or, or places of business or in the, in the, on the ball fields or wherever we may find ourselves, to recognize that as your children, we have the privilege of being your representatives. Father, help us to be your hands and feet, to be your ambassadors to this world in which we live. Thank you, Father, for the privilege of of having your word. May we not just read it. Father, may we believe it. May we apply it. And may we share it faithfully. In Jesus' name, amen.